I love that commercial. It's my favorite commercial of 2016. I smile every time I see it because that airline did a great job of, of really turning something simple like a meal into this uh, moment that those people won't soon forget. You know, they, they took a, a meal, something that we all do. Most of us ate a meal before we came to church this morning. Most of us will go home and eat a meal or go to a restaurant and eat a meal. It's something that we all do. It's an ordinary thing. But they mixed in a little bit of intentionality, right, by making those seats, the, the triggers that lower that table. So a little bit of food plus a little bit of intentionality, and they gave those people an experience that they won't soon forget. You know, there is something powerful about sharing a meal together. And I think, I would go so far as to say that that type of experience is something that we as human beings long for. That's why I think we smile when we see that, because something inside of us is like, I love that, I want that, I desire that. And I think God created us for that type of experience, because one day in heaven we will do something similar to that to a much greater scale. You know, there's this passage in Revelation chapter 19, and then there's a passage in Isaiah 25 that talk about this feast that we will partake in in heaven. And in Revelation chapter 19, the angel's talking to John. He says, write down these words. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then in the book of Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus even shows up on the scene, Isaiah writes these words, that the Lord will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. We will one day in heaven feast with Jesus as an act of celebration and worship to thank him for what he has done. You know, let's not have an underdeveloped view of what heaven will be like, because we will not be wearing diapers, sitting on clouds, playing harps, right? We will be feasting with the king. There is something powerful about sharing a meal together. I think God created us for that type of experience, that type of companionship, that intimacy, that togetherness. That's why we smile. That's why we get excited when we see things like that commercial. <clears throat> you know, um, what we're going to be talking about today really centers around this, that idea that we just saw uh, in that commercial, that, that taking an ordinary thing like food mixing in some intentionality, and creating an experience for people. And I think God can use those ordinary things in our life, like sharing a meal and opening our homes to people, those ordinary, everyday kind of things. He can use those to make an impact in the lives of people. We're going to be talking about hospitality today and how important that is. But I have to make a confession. I am not that great at hospitality. My wife is fantastic at it, me, not so much. I don't know if it's the way that I'm wired or, or what, but I am not that great at opening up my home or inviting people over and, and having meals together. And that is something that I want to get better at because I realize, especially studying this um, for the past couple of months, um, I realize that no excuse that I can come up with, you know, saying that, oh, it's just the way that I'm wired because I'm more introverted. You know, that, that's just an excuse. And no excuse can justify my heart issue, the sin that's really at the core of why I'm not practicing hospitality. 
So I have to wrestle with that. And one of the passages that helps me wrestle through that issue, my heart issue, is this passage in Acts chapter 17. I love this. This is one of my favorite verses. Just to give you a background really quick, because we're jumping into the middle of of this story that's happening. But Jesus gave the, the command to go and make disciples of all nations, and that's what his followers were doing. They were going, they were telling people of how Jesus has changed their lives. Some people loved it. Other people, especially the Jews, they hated it. They were jealous, and they were extremely upset. And in this story, there was a mob of Jews who wanted to destroy these followers of Jesus. So they take this guy, Jason, they drag him out of his home, and they bring him before the the city authorities, if you will. And they say this, they say, these men, talking about the early disciples, the early followers of Jesus, these men who have, I love this phrase, turned the world upside down, have come here also. They've come to our city, and Jason has received them. Jason welcomed them in. He took them into their home. He showed them hospitality, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. I love this because we have to ask ourselves, how were these ordinary men and women, how are these ordinary followers of Jesus turning the world upside down? Like that, that's huge for somebody who doesn't like Jesus to say that. They recognize that these followers of Jesus were doing something crazy and it was turning their cities upside down. And I think the reason why is found right here. Because they were following the orders of a different king. They were living their lives under the rule of King Jesus. Not some earthly king, but under a heavenly king who called them to live intentionally different than the world. Because you see, the world says you don't have to love people. The world says you don't have to forgive people. The world says you don't have to show hospitality. But Jesus says, no, you must do these things if you are my followers. That is how I think we turn the world upside down. That's how they turned the world upside down 2,000 years ago. It's the same way today. We just do these ordinary things with intentionality. We pray, we trust the Spirit. He does a work that only he can do. And as I was studying through this, I realized this truth that God uses hospitality as a means to demonstrate his love to the people in our life. I mean, that's a truth that I just have to realize, that I have to remember that is more true than my feelings or my issues that I have in my own life. And as I realized that, um, I came to this conclusion, and this is our main idea, this is the big point for today, that we display the gospel when we do ordinary things with kingdom intentionality. And that might be kind of a mouthful, so we're going to break it down. When you display something in your home, right, you show it off. We have display cases, we show off those trophies or whatever it is that's in there. So we show off the gospel. What is the gospel? Simply, it's the good news that God loves people and that he demonstrated his love by sending his son Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin, the thing that separated us from God. Even though we were his enemies, even though we had our backs turned against him, he demonstrated his love for us in sending Jesus to die for us. So we display the good news that God loves people. Not that God tolerates people, not that God just likes people, although that is part of the gospel. No, no, that God loves people. So we show that off when we do ordinary things. Ordinary things like sharing a meal with somebody or opening our doors to people. So when we do these ordinary things with kingdom intentionality, when we remember that we are to live under the reign and rule of King Jesus, 
not some earthly king or some earthly system or president or, or, or King Josh, right, or, or, or whatever. No, it's when we realize that we are to live under the rule of King Jesus. And, and hear me, this, that is not a burden. I know for many of us, we think like, I'm American, I'm free, I don't live under, the, you know, under anybody. I don't know why I did like a southern accent there, but... <laughs> you know, we have this mindset of like living under the rule of somebody is like a burden. And that is not the case with Jesus. We are under this umbrella of grace and truth and love. And when we live under that umbrella, when we live under his rule, we extend those things to the, to the people in our lives. We live intentionally. That's what I mean by kingdom intentionality. So that is our big idea today is that we best display the gospel when we do ordinary things with kingdom intentionality. So with the time remaining... We're going to look at this passage in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 5, verse 27, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third book in the, New, in the New Testament, so it's kind of towards the back of the Bible. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, you can follow along on the screen. This is what Luke records for us. He says, after this, so to give you some, some uh, background, you know, this is early on in Jesus' ministry. So he is going around, he's teaching people, he's healing people, he's calling the disciples to follow him. And uh, most of us know what happens right before this. We know the story, at least. Uh, there's a paralyzed guy, and his buddies bring him to Jesus, but the crowd is so thick that they can't bring him to Jesus, so they actually lower him down uh, through the roof. And Jesus heals this guy. And immediately after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. I want to make a quick note, because if you go home and study this, and you read the same account in the book of Matthew, in the book of Matthew, he's referred to as Matthew. In the book of Luke, he's referred to as Levi. There's not a contradiction there. More than likely, this guy just had two first names, Matthew, Levi, and then whatever his last name would have been. And that's what most commentators think. And that's really not that uncommon, because even today, there's a kid in our youth group whose name is John Luke. You can call him John, you can call him Luke, he goes by both, he just has like two first names. So I might refer to this guy as Levi, I might refer to him as Matthew, just know that it's the same guy. So here's Jesus, he sees Levi sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. There's like a sermon in those two verses themselves, but we're going to go on and we're going to focus on uh, these next few verses. So verse 29 Kimberly? Oh, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> okay, move on. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. <laughs> I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Sorry for that. <clears throat> and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Father, I pray that as we look into these words, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts. Lord, that when we leave this place, we would have a desire to put into practice the things that we'll be talking about. Lord, protect us from just wanting to get puffed up with knowledge and learn more things. We don't... A lot of us don't need more knowledge in our lives. We need to exercise what's already in our, our brains and our hearts. So help us to put into practice uh, these things that we'll be talking about. Lord, do a mighty work here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So um, this is a pretty straightforward text. It doesn't really need a lot of explanation. Um, you know, here, here's the scene. Jesus, he just heals a paralyzed man. He goes out. He calls this guy Matthew to follow him. And then sometime later, we don't know if it was later that day. If We don't know if it was a couple days later. But sometime later, Matthew throws this party. And he invites his co-workers over, right? There's other tax collectors there. There's a group of other people that we don't know exactly who they are, but they're just other people. There's Pharisees, there's scribes, there's Jesus, and then there's Jesus' disciples. And there's this awesome party going on. A lot of people refer to this as the Matthew party, okay? And uh, they're eating and they're hanging out. And the Pharisees, these religious elite people who thought they knew everything and who thought they had it all together, they're like, Jesus, why are you eating with these sinners and these tax collectors, these gutter dwellers, these riffraff? Why are you hanging out with these people? Why do you eat and drink with them? And Jesus is like, man, you guys are missing the point. Like, don't you understand? You don't wake up in the morning and be like, wow, I am so healthy today that I think I'm going to go visit my doctor just to make sure. <laughs> no, you go to the doctor when you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, something isn't right and I need some help. Jesus is like, you guys are missing the point. I'm supposed to be hanging out with these people because they are spiritually sick, and I am the only physician that can heal them of their spiritual ailment. Many of them did have physical ailments too that he healed them of, but he's getting to a deeper issue, their spiritual issue. He's like, look, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance because if you're right before God, you have no need to repent. No, I came to call the sinners to repentance, because it is the people who are far from God that need to turn from themselves and follow me and place their faith and trust in me. I am supposed to be hanging out with these sinners and tax collectors, and you guys are missing the point. Okay, so obviously I added in a little bit there, but that's what Jesus was getting at by saying that. That's, that's the scene that we have set here, and I think from this we can learn two very practical, ordinary, everyday things that we can do as Jesus followers to put the gospel on display and to tell people in our lives, hey, God loves you. And the first example that I think we learn from Matthew is this. We put the gospel on display when we open up our homes. We put the gospel on display when we open up our homes. This isn't that profound, but if we take this and apply this I believe God will use this to change the lives of people who are in our life but far from God. So, again, we don't know how long after Jesus called Matthew to follow him that he threw this party, but we knew that he threw this party and that he invited these people over. Okay, now I'm going to speculate for a little bit, so I'm going to stand over here because I'm not speaking under the authority of Scripture because, again, this is speculation. You can disagree with me. I'm right, but you can disagree with me. Um, just kidding. But I think, I believe, the reason why the group of people mentioned in this text is so diverse is because Matthew was intentional. There's that kingdom intentionality that we were talking about. I really believe that Matthew believed that there were people in his life that he knew needed to hear the message of Jesus, and he realized, hey, I have a home, and I can use my home as a means to bring these people under one place where they can hear the message of Jesus because they need this message. Okay, because if you think about it, Matthew did not have to throw this party. It's not like Jesus said, hey, follow me and make sure you throw a party so I can tell all your friends about me. There's, there was not that command given. He didn't have to throw this party. Or Matthew could have said, wow, Jesus, 
you're going to let me follow you. I get to be your disciple. I get to follow you. That's amazing. I want to honor you by having you over for a meal. Matthew could have just invited Jesus over and his disciples, and they could have just had an awesome party by themselves. But we don't see that either. No, we see this eclectic group of of other people, of other tax collectors, of these Pharisees, of these scribes, and I think that's because Matthew knew, hey, there are people in my life that need to hear about Jesus, so I'm going to invite them, and I'm going to use my home as a means to, to bring these people together. So we put the gospel on display when we open up our homes, and the cool thing is we can do that even now today, 2,000 years later. It might look a little bit different, but we can do that now. That's, that might look like foster care for some people. I know some people who open up their homes and provide a place for these foster children. It might look like adoption. Some people, this sounds scary, but some people I know they, they do this. They invite um, people who have just been let out of prison into their homes, and they help them kind of, you know, enter back into society. They help them get back on their feet. For some people, we, you can open up your homes by welcoming in an international student and just hosting them for the school year. You know, I read this statistic that 80% of the 500,000 international students will never set foot in an American home while they're here. Like that's, I don't even know how that's possible, right? But it's from Google, so we know it's true. So (laughs) the vast majority of international students, they won't even set foot in, in an American home. That's really sad because we literally have a mission field coming here We don't have to buy tickets to fly somewhere else. They're coming here. We can disciple them, train them, send them back to to, to share the good news with the people in their own cities and towns. And what's amazing is that there was actually a couple here in in this church not that long ago, a couple years ago, who did this. Uh, Pam and Bruce Napier. Um, Sorry for the pixelized uh, picture. That's the best we could do. Um, But they probably three or four years ago, um, welcomed this young man named Juan into their homes. He was from South Korea. A lot of us from the youth group, we still, right, Josh? We still remember Juan, man. This guy was, was awesome. When he set foot on American soil, he knew nothing of Jesus. But Bruce and Pam were intentional. They sat down every morning. They read scripture with him. They bought him a Bible. They brought him to youth group. They brought him to church. And over the span of weeks and months, almost leading up to a year, at a winter camp, I'll never forget it, Juan said, I need Jesus. And he placed his faith in Jesus. We baptized him. He went back to South Korea. He's making disciples in South Korea, all because a couple said, hey, you can stay with me for this school year. And they were intentional. We put the gospel on display when we open up our homes. We show people God loves you by extending hospitality to them. You know, for other people, opening up our doors might look like just clearing off a spot on our couch once or twice a week so that that elderly, widowed lady could come and and have a cup of coffee and hang out and talk with us because she has nobody else in her life. For some of us, opening up our homes is just opening up a room in our house once a week or two times a month to host a community group. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I am convinced that if we just open up our homes, we will put the gospel on display. This ordinary act, just like Matthew did, an ordinary act, opening up our homes, and we show people that God loves them. Oh, and real quick, I'm going to share one story before I move on to the next one. I almost forgot this, but if you're sitting here and you're like, well, my house is too small, or my house is too dirty or messy, and I can never do anything like that, I have this crazy story for you. Um, So have you guys seen the show Hoarders? Hoarders. 
Okay, get that image of what a house on that TV show looks like. Because a number of years ago, I went over to a missionary's uh, house. He was a friend, and we were going to do some work on his house. And he opens up the door, and he welcomes us in, and I'm like, I'm on the show Hoarders. Because I walk in, and it's like a maze. There's stacks of papers and boxes and stuff everywhere. My first thought was, there's no way somebody could live like this. I mean, it was just like crazy. And then I was thinking, there's no way that they could effectively do ministry in a place like this. I mean, it was, it was pretty bad. So we're, we're going through this maze of stuff, and as I'm walking through, I start to notice all these teenagers in really weird places. Right, there's like one guy working on a computer, and he's all like this because he can't quite fit on the couch. There was um, somebody like, you know, clearing things off the ground, trying to just make room on the floor to sit and watch some TV. And it was just, it was really weird. And I started talking with them. I'm like, why do you have all these people at your house? Because they only had two little kids at that time, like five and seven. And why are all these teenagers here? And he's explaining to me that every day after school, they open up their doors and they just say, hey, anybody who wants to come over after school to work on their homework or to watch TV or to eat some food from our fridge, we just let them in and they kind of have free reign of the house. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of amazing. And then he's like, yeah, you know, and we just make it a point to sit down and to share a soda with them and ask them, hey, what's going on in your life? How's, how are things at school? How are things with your family? And then we take them to youth group on Wednesdays and we take them to church. And as a result, dozens of kids have placed their faith in Jesus, all because these people just open up their doors. You know, the size of our house and even the cleanliness of our house is of little importance when we just love on these people because that's what we are called to do is just to show hospitality, to show grace. And it's amazing what God does, even in the midst of a hoarder's house, when we just love on them and when we're intentional with them. So we put the gospel on display when we open up our homes. The second thing that I think we learn from Matthew's example is that we put the gospel on display when we share our table. Now we're talking about food, one of my favorite subjects, so I'm excited about this part. But, you know, sharing a meal, I was thinking about this, sharing a meal is something that is unique to humanity. There is no other creature, at least that I can think of, that regularly gets around a table and eats food and says, hey, how was your day? What's going on? You know, that, that, that has a conversation around a meal. I mean, it's unique to humanity, and that reminds us that there is more to food than fuel. There is much more to food than just fuel. If you think about it, God could have made us creatures who simply eat for fuel, like a caterpillar or something, right? Just like munch on some leaves, get the calories that we need, and then, and then go. But he didn't. No, and I know this because God gave us something fantastic called taste buds. About 10,000 of them inside our mouth. Okay, and if you ever question, man, does God really love me? Here's what I want you to do. Go eat something delicious. Seriously, get a piece of dark chocolate, Scott Wright. Go get a nitro brew, coffee. Go get something that you find delicious and put that in your mouth and savor it and realize that God did not have to create you to experience such delight, but he chose to. And I think every little taste bud in our mouth is, is, is a gift of God and just a way of him saying, hey, I love you. Because he did not have to create us to experience such delight like that. Again, we could have just been like a caterpillar or, or whatever kind of animal that just eats to replenish the calories that they burn. No, we get to enjoy these things 
And Jesus understood that there was more to a meal than just replenishing calories. See, for Jesus, a meal at the table was a place of friendship, of welcome, and mission. You know, I find it interesting that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he doesn't say, okay, now it's time to start this institution, or now it's time to start this school or this program. No, Jesus shows up and he hangs out with people and he eats with people, right? The first recorded miracle, he's at a wedding. They're like, hey, Jesus, we run out of wine. He's like, there you go. Now, I'm not like endorsing drinking a ton of wine or anything, but it's just the fact that he was hanging out with people at parties. He was not the incarnate killjoy. Sinners loved hanging out with Jesus. He was known in Matthew 11 as a glutton and a drunker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was known for that. It's like he almost embraced that. In the story we just read, the Pharisees call him out again. He's like, why are you eating with with the tax collectors and sinners? He's like, that's what I do. You know, what are we known for? I want to I ask you a question that I wrestle with often. When was the last time you threw a party or that I threw a party or made a meal with the sole intention of just simply loving people in your life who don't know Jesus? You know, it's something that I wrestle with, but I believe that the, the dinner table could be the most missional place in our lives. And as I'm wrestling through this, a few months ago, I came up with, uh, well, I didn't come up with, I read a book that really started all of this, but um, I I wanted to to teach on this in the youth group. So um, I pitched this idea to the other leaders, and, you know, they're all on board. It's like, okay, for three weeks, we're going to do this this series. First week, we're going to look at what it means to love our neighbor. What does neighbor love look like? Who are our neighbors? The second week, we're going to talk about this table ministry, kind of what we're talking about right now, how Jesus did missions and discipleship over a meal. And in the third week, we're actually going to do a meal and to put into practice the things that we talked about. So we're talking about what this might look like, and one of the youth leaders goes, we should do a cereal buffet. And we're like, uh, that's actually a really awesome idea, so we're going to do it. So we did that. We, the first two weeks we did the teaching. The third week we said, hey, bring a box of cereal and a buddy. And they did. And this is uh, what happened. About 50 kids showed up, many of whom um, don't have a relationship with Jesus and who are not connected to a church in any way. And it was an awesome time of just being intentional. We had a lot of really good conversations. But there was one kid in particular who showed up. And he showed up because there were two youth leaders who invited him that worked with him at a local coffee shop. And they said, hey, just, you know, bring a box of cereal, show up. And he did. And he had a great time. And then he showed up the next week to our turkey bowl where we go on Thanksgiving morning and play football in the freezing cold really early in the morning. And he loved it and he had a great time. And since then, he has come to every single youth group. And it's amazing because, um, you know, we'll do the game and we'll get ready for worship. And when the worship time comes, he goes out into the lobby, he puts his headphones in and he sits against the wall. And he just kind of hangs out during the worship time. And one of the leaders approached him one time. They're like, hey, what's going on? Like, you know, how come you're out here? And he goes, I don't know if you guys know this, but I, I'm not a Christian. Like, I, I don't believe in Jesus. And I get really uncomfortable while listening to that music. And the leader's like, hey, that's totally fine, man. Like, don't worry about it. Just, you can hang out here, listen to your music. When you're ready to come back in, join us. You know, we just, we're just glad that you're here. And 
He's been doing that, and God is at work because the other week I saw him kind of lurking in the shadows, looking around the corner at us like, what are they doing in there now? And slowly he's starting to get closer and closer, and that's exciting. And this guy's parents even said to these youth leaders, hey, I don't know what you guys believe, because they're not Christians either. I don't know what you guys believe, but I see this change in my son, and I just want you to know that it's okay for him to go to youth group, and it's okay for you guys to hang out with him. Because they see this change in their, in their son. And all that started over some intentional conversation and a bowl of nasty, sugary, processed cereal. You know, it, we don't have to bust out the fine china. We don't have to put on a full course meal to open up our tables. We can serve hot dogs and macaroni and cheese because the food is of little importance. It's the companionship and the conversation that is of utmost importance. And that is what people long for. That is what they desire. <clears throat> you know, we're not talking about entertaining here because entertaining is so often about showing off. We're talking about showing hospitality, and hospitality is about showing grace, and that is what we are after. We put the gospel on display when we share our table. Now, real quickly, because I'm running out of time. I think I'm out of time. I just want to share two, <clears throat> I just want to share two quick things, um, pitfalls to avoid, because these are areas in my life, remember, this is something I'm struggling with. I'm preaching more to myself than I am anybody else. And these are two pitfalls that I have to keep a pulse on in my life. Otherwise, they really drag me down. So I just want to share those two things that we have to keep in mind as we try to practice this hospitality and live it out. I think two big reasons why we don't practice hospitality. The first is when we replace stewardship with ownership. When we replace stewardship with ownership. When we forget that we own nothing... And when we start acting like we own everything, we stop practicing hospitality. We have to remember that everything that we own is on loan to us by God, not so that we can hoard it for ourselves, but so that we can share it with the people in our lives, so that we can show them hospitality, and so that they can see that God loves them. And to be honest, I am learning this lesson best from my three-year-old son, because we're starting to find out that if we say, hey, Xander, here's a toy for you, he will take that and he will claim ownership of it, and it is his. And heaven forbid some other kid comes along and wants to play with that toy. Or we say, hey, Xander, you need to give that back to us. Because it is like a fight, right? He's like, no, it's mine. It's mine. You said it was mine. He claims ownership of it. So what we're starting to discover um, is if we say, hey, Xander, this is mommy and daddy's, and you can use this. When it comes time to share that toy or to give that toy back, he's more likely to be like, okay, here you go, and extend it out. See, we have to realize that we don't own anything because when we replace stewardship with ownership, we stop practicing hospitality. That's the first pitfall. The second pitfall, and this is an extremely dangerous one, is when we lose touch of our need for the gospel. When we lose touch with our need for the gospel. When we forget how hospitable God was first with us, we fail to extend that hospitality to others. We cannot be like those Pharisees and those scribes who started thinking, you know, I'm okay. Like, I, I do enough good that, that I'm in a right place. We can't be modern-day Pharisees who lose touch of our own need for the gospel. We need the gospel just as much as anybody else. And when we forget that, we stop practicing hospitality. I had a conversation with 
This is a sad story. I had a conversation with somebody recently who, was, who saw, um, I got to be careful with this one, who saw a, another Christian hanging out with somebody who drinks and smokes. And they said, I can't believe that person hangs out with that person who drinks and smokes. I'm like, right? I mean, come on, that's who we're supposed to be hanging out with. We got to love on those people. We can't be like those Pharisees and start judging and saying, why are you hanging out with those people who do that kind of stuff? That is what we as Jesus followers are supposed to be doing. If we dare say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, we should be following the examples that he sets. And he was known for eating and hanging out with notorious sinners. Who do we hang out with? The people that we're comfortable with all the time or the people who who really need to hear that God loves them? We got to show hospitality. We got to practice hospitality. Again, I'm preaching this to myself more so than anybody else in this room. So feel free to keep me accountable on this. We cannot lose touch of our own need for the gospel. And I think right now would be a fitting time for us to end with communion. You know, talking about all this food and talking about um, our own need for the gospel, I think it would be really fitting for us to, to remember how desperately we need the gospel message, the truth that God loves us and that he demonstrated his love for us in sending Jesus to pay a sin debt that we could never pay. So I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and they're going to start passing the communion elements and there's going to be a tray that will pass before you and in that tray there's going to be um, a stack of cups you only have to take one stack because on the bottom there's going to be the bread and on the top is going to be the juice. <clears throat> and we will celebrate communion together. And when you get that, I just want you to hold on to those elements because we'll actually take those um, in a couple minutes on our own time. But you know, communion was something that was celebrated uh, over a meal. Early Christians would get together and they would partake in communion and they would celebrate it over a meal. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus was celebrating the Passover feast. He was eating, he was again eating, right, a meal with his disciples. And Jesus knew that the cross was only hours away. Jesus knew that his body was going to be broken. He knew that his blood was going to be shed. And he knew that he was going to pay the penalty for, for my sin and for your sin. So as he was gathered around this meal with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it, symbolizing what would happen to his body. He gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup of wine and he said, this is my blood, new covenant. This is my blood shed for you do this in remembrance of me. So as we take these elements, we we take them not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of habit or tradition. We take them in remembrance of the great thing that Jesus did for us, of dying on the cross for us. So this is a a really special moment for us to remember our own need for the gospel. I'm going to ask you, it's not good to be selfish, but I'm going to ask you to be a little bit selfish during these moments. And I'll be thinking about the person next to you or in front of you or your neighbor that lives across the street. Be thinking of yourself and how desperately we need the gospel in our own lives. That we need that good news that Jesus loved us and that he demonstrated his love for us 
and sending his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be made right and have that right relationship with him. So I'm going to close in prayer. And as I do, just just reflect on, meditate on our need for the gospel. Jamie and the band will lead us in a song. And anytime during that song, you can take those elements at your own time as we remember his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness towards us, for allowing us to wake up this morning and to feel the raindrops on our head as we walked in here. Lord, we thank you for simple things like taste buds that we often take for granted, and eyesight and hearing, these comfortable seats that we sit in. Lord, we all we recognize that, that all of them is just, it's just a gift from you. It's evidence of your grace in our lives. So we're humbled by the fact that you love us. God, that, that, that you demonstrated your love for us on the cross. You don't just tolerate us. You don't just put up with us, but you love us. Lord, let that truth sink down deep into our souls so that it changes us, so that when we leave here today, we have a desire to share that love with the people who are in our lives, but far from you. God, I pray that you would take this weak message and work it down into my heart and into the hearts of the people here so that we would actually desire to put into practice these things that we talked about, that we would desire to to be hospitable to the people around us because you use that hospitality as a means to demonstrate your love to them. So thank you now as we remember our need for the Savior, Jesus. Lord, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for paying that price that only you could pay. Thank you for promising us peace and joy, forgiveness, and eternal life with you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
had left a crimson stain he lost it while message that you brought to us. Help us to not take you for granted, Father. God, that we'd be reminded this week of all the blessings we have in you every day. As we start this next year, may it be a year filled with gratitude. We love you so much. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. We love you guys. Would you uh, say hi to somebody on your way out if you can? Try and meet somebody new. We're hoping we have some new faces from Christmas Eve. And uh, we'll see you next time.
Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.